morning, church. My name is Hector Pino. My wife, Anna, my two children, Anastasia and Thomas, have been at Faith Church since 2017. Today, I'm going to be reading uh, Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, that I also might be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. For everyone looks out for their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him as soon as I see how things go with me. And I'm confident in the Lord that I myself will come soon. But I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker, and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. For he longs for all of you and is distressed because you heard he was ill. Indeed, he was ill and almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him, so that when you see him again, you may be glad and may have less anxiety. So then welcome him in the Lord with great joy and honor people like him, because he almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up, to make up for the help you yourself could not give me. Thank you for reading God's Word. It's always good to hear God's Word together. I love starting our sermons off with bloopers because my life is a blooper. Isn't yours? I mean, like, if we rolled camera throughout your life, what would we see? I mean, how many epic fails would you have? How many times have you put your foot so far down your mouth, you know, it goes far, right? How many times have we watched epic fails? Yesterday, I was playing tennis with my family, and I just man, smash right into a fence, right? If you saw that, you would laugh at me because our lives are moving so fast all the time and we all make mistakes. Have you made mistakes in life? Have you said stupid things? Have you done stupid things, right? We've all made mistakes and our choice in life is we're either going to laugh or we're going to cry, right? There's really no in between. Life is hard. We're all struggling. We have a choice of laughing or crying. It's why we're doing this series called Joyful Loser, because it's not if you're going to lose, it's when you lose. And maybe you go, my life is going really great right now. Well, just wait a little bit longer, because it's not. It's going to go on the skids at some point soon. I would say by the end of the summer, you're going to have some epic fail. And you have a choice about how you're going to respond to that. As Christ followers, are we going to be sore losers or are we going to be joyful? And that's hard, right? This isn't easy stuff, but we're leaning into what does it look like for us to choose to be joyful? It takes work. It's not easy. It's why we're walking through this book in the Bible, Philippians, where Paul is writing a letter to a group of Christ followers just like us who are in the midst of a losing streak. And in this church, they're facing persecution outside and problems outside the church that's starting to impact them inside the church and cause drama and difficulty, heartache and pain. And Paul writes to them and says 
trying to teach them, I can choose to joyfully lose. Throughout this letter, he's going to push this theme. I can choose to joyfully lose when I know that God always wins. Because you should expect we're going to lose. So I was watching the Olympics this week. How many of you are watching the Olympics, right? So Wednesday, there was this uh, event, the 400 relay event, where they pass the batons around. And America, if you didn't know this, was one of the favorites. And these guys are super fast. They're running around this track. They're expected favorites. They're in the semifinals. And they botch a baton pass. And they lose the semifinals, which means they don't get into the finals. And they're completely ruined, right? As they should be. But as we're prone to do in modern culture, they, stink a, they stick a stinking camera right in these guys' faces, right? These four guys who have just lost, I mean, their heads are down. They're trying to get them to say something. They're stumbling and fumbling because they didn't want to lose. They didn't expect to lose. The camera finally cuts away because this is so awkward. These guys are just head down, bumble and stumbling because in their minds, there was no chance they were going to lose. How many times is that true for you and me as followers of Christ? We think somehow we're going to make it through this life. We're going to make it through this summer without getting a flat tire, without having something hard happen. That's ridiculous. We should absolutely play to win, but we should expect that we're going to lose. And when you lose, what happens? I mean, if you don't have God in your life, what hope do you have? If you don't have a king who's sovereign over everything and bigger than all the problems you go through, where do you go for help and hope? If you have God in your life, if Jesus has really forgiven you from your sins, if heaven is real and this life is going to pass and we're going to spend eternity with God forever, if God is in my life and walks with me day by day, that whatever happens, I am his and he is mine. If that is true, then it changes how I see things and I can laugh at the blooper reels of my life. I can look at the circumstances that I face and go, it's gonna be okay because my God is gonna win and he's never gonna leave me or forsake me. I've been reading the book of Philippians over and over and over again, and I gotta tell you, as I was processing and preparing for today, I read a line that we already covered that I wanna just reemphasize again today to you. Philippians 1, Paul makes this statement. He says, for me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. I don't like this statement. I'll explain. Paul's saying, Jesus has forgiven me for my sins. He's put his spirit inside me. So now as someone who lives, I'm going to live like Jesus. I'm going to love like Jesus. I'm going to sacrifice like Jesus. I'm going to have faith like Jesus. And if I die, that's a win because I get to be with Jesus. I look at Paul and I understand what he's saying intellectually, but I don't like this because honestly, I don't know of you, who of you can say that's your life verse two? For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want to say that's what I believe and what I think and what I feel, but honestly, do I really want to sacrifice for my family? Honestly, I really think the comfort of heaven is better than the comfort of air conditioning? Like, really? I mean, honestly, I look at Paul, I look at Jesus, I look at people in the Bible who live with such faith 
That when life happens and difficulties come, they still trust, they still believe. And I look at myself and I go, man, the air conditioner breaks at my house. I'm having a bad month, right? Like some little thing, I got two flat tires in a year and that's so hard for me. Like little things happen in our lives as modern Americans and we get all sore loser as if we're really struggling and really suffering. I mean, I don't want to say this to you because I know some of you are going through grief right now, but nobody makes it out alive. No one does, which means all of us are going to die. Happy Sunday, right? Like, it's just reality, right? And so somehow we've lost sight of some of these basics in life and we go, really? This is hard. And I, I hear Paul say, for me to live is Christ and die is gain. And I want to get up in front of you and say, that's the way I want to live. But I find myself not believing in heaven, not thinking that life is better on the other side, not wanting to sacrifice to serve anyone else but myself. I look at Paul, I look at Jesus, I look at some of you, I hear some of you pray, I hear some of the things that some of you are going through and you're still joyful and you're still trusting and I look at myself and I'm like, I'm disqualified, I can't do this. I am a sore loser. Have you felt that way before? Because today's passage is so awesome. It is so real. If you have your Bibles, Philippians chapter two. And in this passage, what I find with Paul is he's a real dude like you and me. That yes, he has this life statement, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But he's also a real person that feels anxiety and sorrow and difficulty and heartache and he needs encouragement. And he writes these words that are going to allow us to see just how important teammates are, people, other people that are walking alongside us, just how important they are. And it gives me great encouragement that I'm not the only one that needs encouragement, that feels anxiety and sorrow as a follower of Christ. Would you pray with me? Father, work in such a way today as we listen and learn that you would change us and grow us into the sons and daughters you want us to be. Help us to put aside any distraction and lean into who you are and who you say we are. I pray this through Christ our Lord, amen. Check out this phrase, teammates. When you see teammates, what do you think about? What's this mean? What's this feel like to you? Teammates, lots of different images in our minds. You might see me write teammates up there and go, here's going to be another self-help motivational talk by the guy on stage going, teamwork is the dream work, right? Actually, no, that's not what I'm going to do. Instead, what I'm going to say to you is someone I look up to, a guy named Paul, who's in prison, wouldn't make it through his difficulty and be joyful if he didn't have teammates. If someone I look up to can't be joyful can't work through his difficulty without other people, then that shows me I might need someone too. And in this passage, Paul references two. Throughout the Bible, throughout the New Testament, Paul references lots of teammates. But in this passage, he brings up two teammates, one guy named Timothy and one guy named Epaphroditus. And he brings these people up to remind us that the only way he endures prison is with teammates, because teammates do something for us. Teammates supply what I need. So get this 
scene in your mind for a moment. Paul's in prison. Why is he in prison? Remember this? He's in prison because he travels around his region telling people about Jesus. So he goes around the region and he's telling people about Jesus. He stops in the city called Philippi and he tells them about Jesus and they put their trust in Jesus and a church starts. And then Paul leaves and goes to another place to tell more people about Jesus. In the process, he gets arrested for telling people about Jesus and he's thrown in prison. When he writes these things, he's sitting in a prison cell waiting for a sentence to come down. He's either gonna be released from prison or sentenced to death. He's in prison. This church finds out that Paul, who has served them so well, is in prison, and they get concerned. Because prison in the ancient world is different than prison today. Prison today is three hots and a cot, right, and some internet. In the ancient world, prison is I'm chained to a Roman guard, I have no food, no water, no medical care, unless someone from the outside brings water, food, and medical care to me. The church in Philippi knows this. They hear Paul's in prison, and they take up a collection. They start a GoFundMe site for Paul, who's in prison. And they take this money that they get, and they send this guy, Epaphroditus, to Paul to bring him food and water and medical attention. Because if someone doesn't show up to help, if Paul rots there attached to a Roman guard, they don't care. That's one less person they have to worry about. Paul, the great apostle, who has incredible faith in Jesus Christ, who says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain, needs someone outside himself and his God to supply his needs. And if that's true for him, what about you and me? Look what Paul says, verse 20, excuse me, verse 30. He says, Epaphroditus almost died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to make up for the help you yourselves could not give me. So Paul needed help in prison. The church wanted to help, but the whole church couldn't travel. So they send Epaphroditus with the funds to supply what Paul needs because that's what teammates do. They supply what I need. So I go back to the beginning, kind of think about big picture things. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit live in eternity past in perfect relationship, three in one, one in three, perfect community. They love each other. They're doing things. And they're like, let's create a world. So God creates man in his image, right? And he puts man on earth and he says, now you watch over this place. And he looks at man and goes, it's not good for a man to be alone. So out of man, he makes woman. Because can you imagine a world with all men? Can you imagine a world with all women? (laughs) Woo, like you're right for all of us. God in his sovereignty knows it's not good to be alone, that there's something missing in just being a man. There's something missing in just being a woman. And God says, and I want you to reproduce and fill the earth. And a man can't reproduce, and a woman can't reproduce. So the Bible says the two become one, and they reproduce and they fill the earth. This is so basic, so simple, but stick with me. If in the most basic elementary aspects of life, a man needs a woman. If in the most basic aspects of life, a husband needs a wife. 
If that's true in the most elementary sense, when things get complex like they are today, how much more do you and I need each other? Yes, man needs woman and woman needs man. Absolutely, but beyond that, I need more than just my relationship with God. I need other people. I need teammates. I need people that are going to help me and come alongside me. And so Paul has Epaphroditus come and bring him food. And he describes his teammates further in verse 22. He says, but you know that Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he served with me in the work of the gospel. The great apostle Paul needs a son, a spiritual son to be his partner. He says in verse 25, Epaphroditus is my brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier. The great apostle Paul needs a brother, a coworker, a fellow soldier. See, teammates supply what I need because I'm not gifted enough, I'm not strong enough, I'm not smart enough, I'm not rich enough, I don't have enough faith, I don't have enough joy, don't have enough strength, I don't have enough. I need help and God knows this about me and he supplies for me other people to help me do you have a teammate? Do you have somebody that can help you, supply for you what you need? He also teaches me something else about teammates. Teammates empathize with hardship. The great Apostle Paul needed someone to empathize. You know what the word empathize means? It means to enter in to hardship. Sympathize is I can understand you're having a hardship. Hey, look at you. You look like you're having a hard time. Oh, that stinks. Sympathy. Here's a little card from Hallmark. Eh, follow me. Empathy is I enter in. Like I see you're struggling. I see your heartache. I see your pain. I brought you a casserole. Like, let's sit down and talk. Let's sit down and pray. I'm coming into your struggle. Paul says in verse 19, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, that I may also be cheered when I receive news about you. Paul needs to be cheered up. He's like, I'm gonna send to you my guy Timothy. He's my son because I want him to bring news of me to you and I want him to come back with news about you to me because I'm in chains and I need cheering up. So I'm sending you my son. And then he kind of is verbally processing through this passage and he says, but instead of sending Timothy, I can't send him right away. I'm gonna send back to you Epaphroditus, verse 25. I think it's necessary to send him back to you, my brother, my coworker, my fellow soldier, who is also your messenger whom you sent to take care of my needs. He longs for all of you, and he's distressed because you heard he was ill. Follow this. Epaphroditus takes the GoFundMe site, brings it to Paul to serve him. In the process, he gets sick, and he almost dies. News goes back to his church family. Hey, Epaphroditus is sick. He might die. They're all concerned. Indeed, he was ill, Paul says, verse 27, and he almost died. But God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but also on me, to spare me sorrow upon sorrow. 
Therefore, I am all the more eager to send him to you so that when you see him again, you may be glad and you may have less, and I may have less anxiety. You track what's going on here? The great apostle Paul in prison who says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. He's anxious over a guy who's sick. He's concerned that his friend might die. He's concerned about this church who sent them, that they're hearing things about their friend, and they're all worried and nervous. So he says, I'm going to send Epaphroditus to you, because he almost died. And it would be sorrow upon sorrow for all of us if he died. So I'm sending him back to you so that you can see he's alive. This is so real with emotion. The great apostle Paul is anxious over someone being sick. The great apostle Paul is concerned to hear good news and needs encouragement. The great apostle Paul is concerned about a church who's anxious about someone they love. Paul feels the same way we feel, and he enters into hardship with us. You know, you might think that the great apostle Paul, who said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. When he sees Epaphroditus about to die and hears that maybe, he might say to other Christians, you know what, just suck it up. If he dies, it's cool, right? He's going to heaven. Right? You'll be okay. Get over it. That's what I might say. Just have a little bit more faith. Just get over it. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But that's not what Paul says. He feels the anxiety of humanity, feels the sorrow of loss, feels the pain of a family that's not sure what to do. It's so real, so real. Because if you knew someone who was close to you that was on their deathbed and you thought they might die, how anxious would you feel? Paul and the church of Philippi felt the same anxiety. If someone you loved was in their deathbed and they got healed, how excited would you be? You'd want to hug them, right? Paul feels all of that and teaches the Philippian church that this is normal. You see, as followers of Christ, can we maybe make a commitment together? We all need this reminder today. There is an immaturity in the modern American church about suffering. There is a underdeveloped idea, thought, theology about difficulty. We think that getting a flat tire twice in a month is suffering. We think a toothache is hardship. We get sideways when life doesn't go our way and we don't get what we want and things aren't as smooth as they should be, the air conditioner breaks and there's hardship at work, and you get passed up from a job. All of these things are real. But we think that, oh my goodness, life is so hard. I can't believe it. I can't believe this is happening to me and my family, that someone in my family might die. This is hard. But who's not going to die? Who's not going to die? I'm not saying this to, to make anyone feel bad, but if you haven't looked at your wife lately and said, one of us is going to die. Who's going first? And had a real conversation about that? Then you're die denying reality. If you're a parent, if you have friends, someone's going to get a diagnosis. It's not if, it's when. If you're going through life and you think that you're never going to have financial hardship or addiction or problems, if these things aren't real and they're not happening and you're acting like, no, this isn't going to happen, it's going to happen. Man, play to win. Play to win, but expect you're going to lose. 
Because then when you don't get a flat tire for a month, you might be really grateful. Like, oh, it's pretty good. I didn't get a flat tire. It's okay. We're okay. We're okay. But we also have to work through this other aspect of immaturity as a followers of Christ. Sometimes we think that as followers of Christ, who want to be joyful always, who are called to be joyful losers, that we don't have real feelings. We have real feelings. When someone you love dies, we don't say to you, suck it up. We weep. When someone gets a diagnosis of terminal illness or whatever, when you go through job loss or pain or heartache or addiction, we don't go, let's pretend like that's not feeling. No, these are real things. We can both be aware and expect difficulty and be joyful and feel things deeply. Don't deny reality. Hardship is going to come. Don't deny reality. We weep over heartache, pain, and hardship. We do. So what, what can we learn about this from Paul's letter to be to the Philippians. Let me flip this around. Here's what we can learn. To be honest. I mean, we need honesty in the church of Jesus Christ and among brothers and sisters. We can look at the facts of Christianity. We can look at the difficulty of life. We can talk honestly about theology and about Jesus saving us from everything. We can do all of that. But it requires honesty. Honest to be about what we believe is true and not true, but also honesty about what we're experiencing and what we're feeling. So I'd encourage you today to be honest about two things specifically. Be honest about needs. Really, your marriage is going well? Really, it's not hard to not be able to have children? Really, you like being single? Really, the divorce you're going through? Ah, it's gonna be okay, we'll get through it. Other people have had to deal with it too. Really, you're gonna get through addiction by yourself? Really, the suicidal thoughts that just keep coming and coming and coming, you're gonna manage yourself? Really, you don't have any needs. The debt that you have, Ah, you'll get out of it at some point. Hardship at work? Really? You don't have any needs? You see, the only one we're faking when we don't be honest about our needs, the only one we're fooling is ourselves. We're fooling ourselves because God sees all our needs. And he's not fooled by it. Sometimes I think we're like, children who think we're hiding our needs from our parents. And any child that tries to hide their need from their parents only make their pain and their shame and their problem greater. So when we as followers of Christ hide our needs from God the Father, we make our pain and our shame and our problems greater. So I don't know what need you have today, but all of us have needs. And if you're not honest about it, you're fooling only yourself. 
And so you take your need before God and say, God, I need this. I need help. I need other people. I need someone to walk with me through this difficulty, this pain. I need you. You bring your need to God. And you watch when you bring your needs to God how he supplies for your needs. It may not look like you think it's going to be but he'll supply for you. And it's so often that supply comes through teammates, people, others like you. Be honest about your needs and be honest about your feelings. Oh my gosh, some of you are squirming. There's a lie that's, happened in the church or in modern culture that you have to check your brain at the door when you come to follow Jesus, meaning people that follow Jesus don't think. It's just blind faith. We just believe. So we don't have, if we have really smart brains, we just put those aside and we're going to have to leave them behind if we're going to follow Jesus. Some of the most intelligent people in world history have been followers of Jesus because they realize, no, I can have a robust intellect and a real faith. Those things can come together. There's also another lie that happens in Christianity in that you have to check your feelings at the door. Meaning, you know, if I'm going to follow Jesus, I just have to be okay with whatever's going on. And whatever I'm feeling, I just got to bury that and replace it with faith. Whatever I'm feeling, whatever I'm experiencing, whatever heartache, whatever pain, I'm just supposed to suck it up. I'm supposed to buck up. I'm supposed to pray more. I'm supposed to trust more and pretend like I don't have feelings as if you can stuff your feelings down and they go away. How many of you have tried that? How's it working for you? My dad's a Vietnam vet, had PTSD from Vietnam and spent his life stuffing down the pain and the trauma of Vietnam. Do you think it made it go away or did it leak out in anger in all kinds of other ways? Because you can't hide or stuff your feelings and think they're going to go away. But you can be honest about what you feel. So you're angry with God over something that happened? So you're lonely? You're struggling? You feel despair, you feel doubt, you feel anxiety. What do you do with it? You don't stuff it down. It doesn't go away. And your feelings are not wrong. What you do with your feelings can be wrong. So we all have feelings. And if we take those feelings and we bring them to God, you say, God, here's what I feel. I doubt, I struggle, I'm tempted. I feel confused, I'm angry, frustrated, I'm weeping death of my dream, death of my hopes, I bring it all to him and I ask him to take it. And God, I give it to you because he has the ability of taking what we feel and we ask him to align with what we feel to what is true and you watch what he does. But so many times as followers of Christ, we go to each other, hey, you know what? Your loved one's in a better place. Suck it up. Or when someone we love is going through difficulty, anxiety, pain, we just give them a lecture, God's good. Hey, God's good. God's going to work all things for the good of those as if they need a lecture from you instead of you enter in and feel with them. 
as Christ followers, we must feel. Because if we're going to be joyful losers, it's going to take a team. I can't do this on my own. You can't do it on your own. It takes a team of us losers for me to remain joyful. It takes all of us. The Apostle Paul was a joyful loser because he had a team. He couldn't do it by himself. And you can be a joyful loser with a team of other people. So you're going through some financial struggles. You can try to do that on your own, or you can come to the church and say, I'm in need. I need help financially. I need to get out of debt. The church serves to help you. You're not alone. Where you need something, the church wants to supply that. Other people want to supply those needs for you. It's why we have care groups. So you're going through divorce, you're going through grief, you're going through an addiction, you're going through a hang-up, something that you can't get past. It's why we do care groups, so that you're not alone. You can be honest about what you need and what you feel with other people who want to supply for you, to come alongside you and empathize with you. You want to grow? You're struggling to understand the Bible? You're like, how does this all make sense? I don't understand how a loving God can care about me. I don't know how to deal with all this injustice I see in the world. You get into a small group with other people who are opening the Bible together and they know your name and they know your need and you don't have to be alone because you were designed to be with people. Bring your needs to God. Bring your feelings to God. He can handle them. He's not surprised. He won't shun you. He won't push you away. He says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy laden. Whatever you need, bring it to me. Whatever you feel, bring it to me. And if you can bring your needs to God, you can bring your needs to the church. Whatever you're feeling and whatever you need, I hope you come to church with those feelings and with those needs, whatever they are. Whatever the need and whatever the feeling, you're welcome in the church of Jesus Christ with every need and every feeling. And watch, as we do this together, we can be joyful. Would you pray with me? God, we're desperate for your help and your hope because on our own, we will not succeed. We fail, we fall, we're tempted, we're messed up. Blooper reels on Joe's life are eternal. But with you, God, with your help, I can walk and I can trust and I can navigate the ups and downs of life. I can be joyful with your help. God, today, in the sound of my voice, there are people listening, watching, here, present, who have never put their trust in you never opened their hearts to you. They've been doing life alone without your forgiveness and without your peace. They're carrying around so much shame, so much pain. Help people right now to know that with you, Jesus, there's forgiveness. With you, there's hope. With you is the promise that whatever comes, you're on our side. There's no magic words to pray or no special thing you got to do, just talk to God and tell him you're sorry. Talk to God and tell him you're broken. Talk to God and tell him you're ashamed of your decisions and your past or your present. And just watch what the God of the universe will do. As a loving father, he'll remove your shame. 
He'll forgive you and give you life eternal. It's what you promise. God, for us, we just want to be honest. Give us humility to be honest about what we need and what we feel, to take everything to you. You know us and you want to hear from us and to bring ourselves, our needs and our feelings to the family of God, to find someone trusted, a teammate that can help us. Do this in us and do it for us. We trust you. In the name of Christ our Lord, amen.